Church family, it's Pastor Omar here. And today we are starting a brand new series called Storyteller. You know, when Jesus was here on this earth, he was known for a lot of things, such as being a preacher, a miracle worker. But one of the things that people absolutely loved about him was that he was an amazing storyteller. In fact, during his ministry on earth, one of the ways that he would communicate what the kingdom of God would be like were through stories called parables. Now what's interesting about these parables is that their meaning would oftentimes be hidden from those who didn't believe. But for those who did believe, Jesus would reveal and explain the hidden meaning of these stories. And to kick off this brand new series, we're gonna be hearing from Pastor Van Iveson from our West Kendall campus. And I'm excited to hear from Pastor Van, not only because he does a terrific job leading his campus, greatly loved by the people there, but also because he's a great teacher of God's Word. So stand up with me at all campuses. Let's start clapping our hands and let's give a big, big welcome to Pastor Van Iveson. Well, thank you so much for the warm welcome. Truly excited, truly honored to share from God's Word with you today. And listen, before we begin, I want to welcome all our campuses. I want to welcome all our local campuses all across Miami-Dade. Welcome our online campus. And of course, I have to give a big shout out to my home campus, our West Kendall campus, Christ Fellowship. Can we give it up for all our campuses joining us today? And hey, as Pastor Omar mentioned, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Mark and beginning a new series called Storytellers, where we look at the parables of Jesus. And today we're going to look at the parable of the sower. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. Uh, if you have the Christ Fellowship app, you can follow along as I read. So Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. So when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on good soil, and it produced grain growing up and increasingly increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and a hundred-fold. That is the word of the Lord. God bless you all. You may have a seat right where you're at. Well, hey, to begin my message, uh, something you need to know about me is I actually grew up in Miami. Most of my life was really concentrated in one particular area of Miami, which is the West Kendall area, where I so happened to pastor a church there. So grateful for I mean, my experiences. I grew up there. All of grade school, I went to, uh, it was at West Kendall, elementary, middle school, and even high school. In fact, I graduated from G. Holmes Braddock Senior High School. Do we have any Bulldog alumni? Okay, one person. All right, note to self, this isn't a away game, all right? This is a hostile territory. Okay, note to self. But listen, the reason why I enjoyed high school is because I had some of my, my most memorable moments in high school, really for two reasons. One, I met my wife, Jenny, in high school. In fact, take a look at this picture. This is us at high school. And uh, some of you are like, oh, that's, that's really nice and cute. Some of you are like, 
Van, what happened to you, man? Like, I can already feel your judgment already. Um, but listen, not only was this like just memorable, but also I became a Christian in high school, right? I don't know if you experienced uh, uh, becoming a Christian later parts of your life and you experienced a lot of new things in your Christian faith. Well, that was me. I became a Christian in high school and I began to do things that I've never saw myself do, like, like pray, right? I began to go to church and actually enjoy it. My behaviors changed, my attitudes changed. I began to do things like sharing my faith with other people. Well, on one particular day, right after high school, uh, they dismissed the students, and most of the students kind of met, uh, found themselves in the front of the school waiting for their parents to pick them up. And I noticed there were two baseball players there. So I decided to walk their direction and strike a conversation with them. And, and, and part of what God was stirring my heart to do is to share the gospel with them, to share the hope that I have of Jesus with them. And in my mind, this could have gone one of two ways. Either one, they would just reject me, reject the message, or that they would receive the message and be saved. Well, that thought alone compelled me enough to share my faith with them. So I did that. I shared about the love of God for them. I shared about how they're not experiencing the love of God because of sin, but Jesus offers a solution, the forgiveness of sin and new life in Christ. And can I tell you what happened next? Puzzled me, all right? In fact, I didn't even have a category for what happened next. You know what happened next? One of those students received Christ. I mean, you can see it in his face. He felt the conviction. He was tracking with me. And the moment I said, you want to receive this free gift of salvation? He said, yes. Now, ironically enough, the other student said no. I mean, he wasn't rude or disrespectful. He was just very dismissive. He says, no, thank you. Uh, I don't need religion. I don't need God in my life. And, and you would think that after that interaction, I would feel at least joyful or happy because at least someone, uh, one, at least one person responded to the gospel in a positive way. But can I tell you, I was actually confused. I was perplexed. Now, now, mind you, this is all new to me. I'm not even sure if I'm doing it right, if I, I missed something. But I was just perplexed. And, and here's the reason why. In my mind, I was thinking, how is it that these two people can hear the same message from the same messenger at the same time, at the same location, at the same setting, and yet it yield different results? One of them received Christ and the other one rejected See, see, in my mind, I, I was thinking of the things that I could control, the constants in this variable. What I was not uh, um, um, prepared was the different variables that were factoring in behind the scenes. And, and folks, let me bring that over to our teaching today because don't miss this point because on that day, I learned a very important lesson, a very important spiritual lesson that day. And the lesson really is our big idea that I want you to take away today. And it is this, that the gospel has different effects on different people. That the gospel has different effects on different people. And maybe you already know this. Maybe you've already experienced this. Maybe you're, you're a parent with kids and, and for you, uh, you, you wouldn't say you're the perfect parent, but you did the best that you can with the resources that you have. And what you wanted to do was foster an environment where your kids can come to know the Lord. And so you put them into Christian school, you, you took them to youth group, you brought them to church. And despite your best efforts, one of your kids are following the Lord and the other one is not. Or maybe you're, you're here and, and you're attending our, our services, maybe online or in person and you bring your spouse with you because you guys want to grow in your faith. And you come to this, you hear the same message and go to the same service. And what you're seeing in your spouse is growth. You're seeing their, their, their relationship with the Lord just flourish and they're beginning to change. But when you look at your life, 
You're not, you're not seeing change. You're not seeing a difference. You're not seeing transformation. And it's leading you to ask the same question that I ask. And that question is simply this. Why is it that when people hear the same message, how is it that when they hear the same message, they respond differently? Why is it that the gospel has different effects on different people? Like, what's really going behind the surface here? What are the variables in place? And in light of that answer, how should that change the way that we share the gospel? Well, we're going to find out as we jump back into Jesus' story, the parable of the sower. Uh, And what we're going to find are really just two thoughts that I want to just share with you as to why is it that we can hear the same message and respond differently So write this down or put this down as point number one on your app or on your notes, and it's simply this, because everyone is at a different place. Everyone is just at a different place. So Jesus tells this story about this this farmer, right? And and this farmer is scattering seeds. He is sowing seeds. And later we'll find out about the seed. It's actually representative of the word of God. So just picture someone who is sharing the word of God, speaking the word of God, showing the love of God. But it's just falling on different places. See, the constant is it's the same farmer. It's the same seed. They're not various kinds of seed. But the variable is this. It's falling on different places grounds, different places, different soils. So what Jesus is going to do is this, that these different places, these different soils, these different grounds are actually representative of the condition of our hearts. So when the word of God, the seed of God enters our, those soils, we respond differently because everyone's at a different place. So we're going to unpack four of those grounds, four of those soils. The first one that Jesus talks about is the path. And you can put this down as your notes here. Uh, This is actually characterized, the path is as a hardened heart. In fact, look what verse four says. Jesus says this, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. So just look at this picture of a path right here. Just imagine yourself that this, this, this pathway with a lot of foot traffic, a lot of activity, and it's actually pressing down the dirt. It's actually compacting the dirt to the point where it is just hard. It's getting to the point where this once fertile ground has been so stepped on, pressed upon, that it's actually callous and it's actually hardened. So when a seed falls on it, it does not penetrate deep down. And it's really just easy pickings for birds to come snatch it away. And so here's how Jesus explains this path. He says this, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they, when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. See, the issue here is not that they didn't have access to the word of God. The issue here is not that they didn't even hear the word of God. They did, but their hearts were hardened to the point where they, were, they could not penetrate deep down. And Satan, like a bird, robs them of the word of God. The word of God that has the potential to change your life, to transform your life, Satan robs them of that. And you know how he does that? Really just two ways. Through one, doubts and distractions. Satan uses the scheme, the classic scheme of doubt, doesn't he not? I mean, think about this. The, the first time we're introduced to Satan, he does that very thing. In Genesis chapter one, we find that God creates Adam and Eve uh, for his good purposes and pleasure and, and they experience life as life is, is intended to be, life with God. 
And God says to be fruitful and to multiply. But he also said, the word of God said this, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the middle of the garden, lest you surely will die. And what Satan does is he takes God's word and he sows seeds of doubt. In Genesis chapter 3, this is what the first time, first interaction we see about the serpent, we see about Satan. And this is what he says, did God actually say? See, he's sowing those seeds of doubt. He's saying, you sure you heard that right? You sure that's true in your life? And listen, not only will he doubt, sow seeds of doubt of the word of God in your life, he'll sow seeds of doubt of God's good intention for your life. Listen, God's holding out on you. Listen, yes, he wants you to be holy, but, but he wants you more to be happy. And so he'll sow those seeds of doubt in your heart and in your mind. And because our hearts are hardened, cannot penetrate to, uh, through. So the other thing uh, that how, how Satan uses, the scheme of Satan, is really through distractions. Like, like some of you are experiencing this right now, this very moment. You're, you're, you're tracking with you. You're like, amen, pastor, good word. What am I going to eat after this service? Like, like, like well, my mind is going there. You just get distracted. We get so easily distracted, don't we not? And can I tell you my, my number one distraction for me, and actually I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's actually my phone. It's actually our devices. It not, listen, we live in a distracted age where we're just so inundated with information. And, and we hear all these information, and, and it's challenging. It's actually numbing us to the things of taking action. You know, there's a book by Neil Postman written in the early 1980s called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I don't know if you ever watched the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. It's loosely based off of this book. But here's what Neil Postman says, and it's actually startling when he, he makes this claim. He says, think about the news. Before the dawn of, you know, uh, the internet, when we, before the telephone or even the, the television, all news was local. So rarely did you hear news about another village, another city, rarely about another country, because all news was local, and we weren't inundated with all so, so much information. And because of that, the news that you received actually forced you to take action, right? You, you had to do something. It was actionable, and it was urgent. So maybe you got the news that someone's barn is burning down. Well, the actionable item is, well, let me get my bucket, let me fill it up with water, and let me help put out the fire, but what he's saying in the digital age, in this distracted age, in this information age, we're getting so much information that we don't even know what to do with it, and it's actually conditioning us to do nothing with the information that we hear. And so maybe you watch the news, and you watch and hear something very terrible, and it actually bothers you, and you say, that's, that's terrible. Click. Next channel. Or maybe for you, you're, you're, you're looking at your social media and you, you hear a sad story and it moves you deeply, it bothers you deeply. And you said, this is terrible, this is sad. Swipe. And, and, and here's the issue. It's actually conditioned us because of all the information. We're actually conditioned when we hear information to do, it has required nothing of us. And so when we hear the word of God, and again, our issue is not that we don't have access. We have more access to the word of God through sermons and podcasts and the internet than ever before. But we hear it but because our hearts are hard and distracted. We do nothing with it. And Jesus warns us about our hardened, numb, callous hearts because, yes, the word of God is sown in your life, but it actually does not go Anyway, the second thing he talks about is a rocky soil. So put this down as letter B. And so Jesus characterizes the rocky soil as a shallow heart. Letter B, 
He used to talk about as a shallow heart. And listen to what Jesus says about the shallow heart. Verse six, verse five. Next slide. There you go. All right. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. So, so Jesus is describing this kind of rocky ground where, where this wasn't something that was uncommon at Palestine because most of the terrain there was actually just rock, limestone. And because of the morning dew and because of the rain, it would actually cause some dirt to pile on top of these rocks. But it wasn't deep enough. It was just a shallow surface. It was a little bit of soil, but a whole lot of rock, just like this picture. Now, here's how Jesus explains this condition of the heart, the shallow heart. Verse 16, he says this, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word and immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, interesting enough, this is quite the opposite of the hardened heart. In this case, they like the word of God. They're interested in the word of God. They get excited and emotional when they hear the word of God. They're exhilarated by it. They're thrilled by it. They even receive it with joy. But here's Jesus' assessment. There is no root. They spring forth, but there is no root. I mean, this is the person that's characterized. They get excited about Jesus. They're, they're, they're happy about Jesus. They, they like going to church. And in a moment, they're, they're, just, they're just thrilled with it, but then quickly fall away. This is the kind of person when they have a good start, right? And this is the kind of person who, you know, I'm sure you've heard this phrase, when they're, they're just on fire for Jesus. You ever heard that phrase? Which I always think is kind of like a uh, painful experience. I'm on fire for Jesus. But anyways, they're excited. They like the concept, but they slowly fall away. Because, because they don't have deep roots. And so, so their foundation is not built on faith, their foundation is built on their feelings. You see, you see for those these folks, their foundation is not built on this deep, rooting, abiding attachment to Jesus. Their actually foundation is rooted in their feelings they get from Jesus. And so what ends up happening is that they get excited in the moment. They start off strong, but the moment where trials, hardships, persecution, and, and difficulty enter in their lives. They, they slowly fall away because they're challenged by the very word. They're, they're challenged the feelings that they feel. And so they fall away. And can I just tell you, this is the reason why as pastors, we tell you to be rooted in the word of God, to study the word of God. That's why here at Christ Fellowship, we preach the word of God, the full counsel of God, because we're not just here. If all we did was just give you encouraging message to, to calm your anxious heart, if all we did was just give you messages to, to, to live a better life and never tell you about the day of trouble that's coming, then we would not be loving. Because the day of trouble will come. And if we have not prepared you and if you have not anchored yourself to the solid rock of Jesus, but rather on a feeling or rather just on an emotion, you will fall away. That is why the mark of a mature believer is the moment where we experience joy, right? We become new Christians, we get excited. 
to untether our feelings. Not saying that we don't feel emotional, but I'm just saying we're not hanging our anchor on our feelings, but rather on our faith. In Jesus Christ. That is why I advocate we we ought to have a yet I mentality. See, the book of Habakkuk is this Old Testament prophet who is crying out to God because of injustices that he sees in the world and why isn't God doing anything? And he's seeing his nation in chaos. But in spite of all the things that are happening, he kind of comes to this conclusion. In Habakkuk chapter 3, this is what Habakkuk says. This is his, his assessment, and then this is his conclusion. He says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, all things are going bad. Listen to what he says, Yet I... Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, not my feelings. In fact, here's what he says next. I will take joy. In other words, I'm going to park my feelings in the God of my salvation. Amen? Amen. See, the reality is, listen, listen, we don't follow Jesus because we believe that Jesus will make our life better. We follow Jesus because he is better than life. And and so don't park your feelings on emotion and, and create the shallow part of your life. Jesus says you need deeper roots that need to be abiding in him, anchor yourself in him. The third thing, the third kind of ground that he characterizes is one called the weeds or the thorns. And so write this down or put this down as letter C. Jesus characterizes this thorny ground as a divided heart. And here's what Jesus says about that. He says this, other seed fell among thorns and thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And others are ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear. This is Jesus explaining it. Those are the, who hear the word. But the cares, listen to this, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke and it proves unfruitful, rendering it unfruitful. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus does not critique the soil in this, in this ground. He actually thinks the soil is good soil. Things are growing in it. The only problem is that it's mixed with bad company. See, things, it's a fertile soil. Things are growing. Even weeds are growing, but we're allowing other things to come in and steal the nutrients from the actual plants. And it's actually rendering it unfruitful. It's the kind of person who loves the word of God, loves the things of God, wants to hear the word of God, has a rhythm in their life, but simply, they're just things that are crowding their lives, their schedules, and what's end up happening is they're actually putting God's word in the backseat of their life. And so Jesus says there are three things that characterizes these thorns that choke up God's word in your life. He says, the cares of this world... You know, last week, Pastor Omar shared this interesting paradigm between our fear and our trust, right? And it's this kind of spectrum that we kind of live in, that can can exist in our hearts. It seems that the more that we are fearful, the less trust that we have in the Lord, right? But on the other, the flip side, if the more that we trust God, fear doesn't have the power that it does in our lives. Can I introduce you a new paradigm in light of the worries and the cares of this world? And it's this. That in our lives exist two, uh, this delicate dance between worries and our anxieties and our thankfulness and gratitude to the Lord. 
See, either in your life, you can experience a lot of anxiety and worry of the future, your family. And listen, that can kind of choke out your gratitude for the Lord. See, the reality is they cannot exist in the same spaces. One will drown out the other. Or in light of your difficulties and the cares of your life, you can come with an attitude that says, God, I am so thankful. I am so grateful. You were faithful back then, and I just know, I just know in the midst of my hardships, you will be faithful still. And listen, anxiety begins to creep lower and lower in your life. And then Jesus says, there's also the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness, I, I see this so often in my life. Like if I were to ask you this question, do you feel rich? Like, do you feel rich? And some of you be like, oh man, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I don't really feel rich. Some of you are like, let me just wait for my stimulus check and then I'll answer that question, right? But with some of you, like, listen, just honest, like, do you feel rich? And if you're like me, I don't feel rich. And it's always this elusive thing, isn't it? We were never quite there. I always thought that if, if, I, if I just get this, I get to this different tax bracket or add margin in my life, then I will feel rich. You know, there's actually this website where you can actually uh, input your annual income. And it'll actually compare you as it relates to the, your riches in, in percentage-wise to not just those in your city or your zip code or your profession, but to the global world, right? So I actually did this. I put my income, and I only put one income, my income as, as a pastor. I didn't put my, you know, my side hustle income. I just put what I made as a, as, as a pastor at this church. I didn't even include my, my, my income as I make as a professional model. I didn't, I, I didn't even put that. I don't even know how to take your response right now. I don't know why you're laughing at that. Um, but anyways, I, I just put what I made here at church. And can I tell you, it surprised me. It actually humbled me because the statistics show that if you own a smartphone, that if you can drive a car, you can flush a toilet and turn on a light switch, congratulations, you are one of the richest persons in the global world. And listen, and yet, why is it that I still feel like I'm not rich? There's something insidious, there's something deceitfulness about that. And Jesus says, watch out. It's that person who, who loves the things of God, wants to do more for the kingdom of God, and wants to see growth happen in their life, but they're, they're just at the point like, God, I, I know, but let me make some money first. Uh, let me get ahead of my career first. Let me put you in the backseat of life. I promise, I promise, when things settle down, but here's the problem, it's always elusive, isn't it not? And so Jesus also warns us of the desire of other things. I could kind of call this a junk drawer. Of, Jesus kind of just dumps all the, all the desires, all the pursuits of other things. It's a person who values the word of God, values going to church. You bring your family. You get excited about it. But listen, it's becoming very challenging because of all the schedules that you have, all the commitments that you have, and essentially what you're doing, you're putting God's word, you're putting the priority of your life, which is God, in the backseat of your life. And listen, Jesus has something to say for that kind of seed. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, here's what Jesus says. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Listen to what he says. For the Gentiles seek after all these, what? Things. 
and your heavenly father. Now listen to this. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Listen, part of the reason is why we pursue other things. Part of the reason is why we go after and chasing other things is because fundamentally we don't believe this is true. That if I give my life to God, then I won't get these things. Listen, your heavenly father knows that you need them. That some of your desires, some of your pursuits are good things. Dare I even say are God-given desires. What ends up happening is that we put that in the backseat of our lives and pursue these other things. And here's what Jesus has to say. He says, but seek first, not the backseat, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And listen to what he says. And all these things will be added to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, some of your desires, some of your pursuits, like a good family and a happy life and and, and career advancements are good things and even God-given things. But if they're not placed in the right place, you cannot properly enjoy them. But when we put God first, when he's the priority of our lives, then we can fully and truly enjoy the things of God in our lives. Now, it's interesting enough, he says this, for the Gentiles... Seek after all these things. Now, what's interesting is that the context in which Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching to good Jewish men and women. And yet, he's using, and these are people who believe in God, but he says, listen, for the Gentiles, and the context here is that Gentiles are the people who don't believe what you believe, who don't believe in God. So what Jesus is simply saying is this, listen, you can live your life, or you can say that you believe in God, but you can actually live your life as if he doesn't exist. And what ends up happening is that we love the things of God, but through our calendar and through our schedules, and listen, I know we live crazy, busy lives, and I'm not trying to minimize your challenges, but the reality is that we are putting God at the backseat of our lives. And what's end up happening, according to Jesus, it is choking the very thing that God wants to do in your life. And then Jesus gives the fourth soil, which he calls the good soil, So put this down as letter D. This is characterized with a ready heart. And here's what Jesus says in verse 20 about the ready heart. But those who were sown on good soil, there are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And it's this picture of this beautiful, lush ground When the word of God is sown, it builds deep roots and doesn't get choked away and experiences this this massive growth, this exponential growth. And maybe you've experienced this in your life. Maybe you can see in someone else's life. And they're just growing in the Lord. They're just flourishing in their faith. This is the kind of soil that God desires when you hear the word of God. Now, you might think that after talking about these four soils that Jesus, I mean, a good title for this parable is the parable of the soils. I mean, after all, I spent the majority, in fact, Jesus spent the majority explaining the parable talking about the soils. So why is it not called the parable of the soils? In fact, if you look at your Bibles or maybe on your paper Bible or on your, on your phone, you'll actually see that some scholars title this the parable of the sower, not the soils, but the sower. Now, mind you, there's nothing inspirational or even authoritative with titles in your Bible. Not even the chapters or verses are in the original manuscripts. They're just helpful guides to help us read it. But I actually like the title, The Parable of the Sower, because I think here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to tell us there's a lesson to be learned about the sower, not just the soil, but the sower. And so put this down as point number two. 
Here's the lesson of the sower. Regardless of the soil, we keep sowing seeds. Regardless of the soil, rocky, thorny, uh, uh, shallow, we just keep sowing seeds. I mean, can you just, just picture this, this farmer? The description that we have is this farmer who is uh, liberally and indiscriminately sowing seeds. He's not meticulously putting seeds on, on good places. He's just liberally and indiscriminately scattering and sowing seeds. He's not stingy with his seeds. I think some of us, when we look at this parable, we have, it kind of rubs us the wrong way, maybe because of some of us who are kind of more uh, entrepreneurial or more uh, uh, efficient kinds of people. We would say, man, listen, if he was my employer, I'd fire that person, right? He seems uh, reckless. He seems careless. He seems even wasteful of the resources, just flinging it everywhere, all right? Because we think of ROI, don't we not? Return on our investments, right? Uh, maximizing our yields, but I think what we need to learn about the story, and I think what the farmer can teach us about the way that he indiscriminately and liberally sows seeds is because he believes in two things. And this, write this down as A and B. He believes that our role is to scatter seeds. Amen. And God's role is to give the growth. See, it's our job to scatter seeds. It is God's job to grow the seed. See, we're called to be faithful in sowing seeds. We're called to be faithful in spreading the word of God and showing the love of God to other people. We're not called to, to investigate soil. We're not going around and saying, hey, how's your soil? Before I share the word of God with you, do you have any thorns in there, right? Like, we don't go around and, and looking at people and say, hey, you know that person right there? I would share the word of God with him, but he looks like a stoner, man. Uh, not the recreational kind. I'm talking about the condition of his heart. He's a stoner, right? And listen, listen, God has not called us to pull weeds. He's entrusted us with the seed to bring good news to all people. And we're called to be faithful. Listen, you know why he's not stingy? You know why the farmer's not stingy? You know why we as Christians should not be stingy about sowing seeds? It's because we believe that God's love is abundant. We believe that God's grace is sufficient. We believe that his mercies endure forever. We believe that he wishes that none should perish, but all come to repentance. And maybe for you, you might be thinking, well, I believe that God's grace in my life has run dry. And maybe for you, you feel like God has forgiven you for the very last time. Can I remind you that God's mercies are renewed every morning? And so, so the planting approach of this farmer is not marked with wastefulness, it's marked with faith because a farmer believes that no matter what soil exists, God has the power to penetrate even the hardest of hearts. It's a good reminder. In fact, Paul uh, puts this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He plants a church in Corinth. And there's, he writes this letter because there's divisions happening in the church that he's planted. Some people are, are siding with, uh, with Paul. Some are siding with well, Apollo. Some siding with Peter. And this is what he gets. He says, listen, I planted. Isn't it? He planted this church. Apollos, he watered. But make no mistake about it. God is the one who gives the growth. Amen? Amen. When I was in college, I, I got a phone call by this obscure number. I, I didn't know who it was, and so I, I didn't pick it up. So it went straight to voicemail. And I picked up the phone call. Uh, the, I listened to the voicemail. And evidently, he got my number from a mutual friend in Facebook. And I didn't, re I didn't save the message, but uh, it went something similar to this. He said, um, hey, Van, I don't know if you remember me, but we had 
class together. And he said something to this effect. He's like, you've always been the Jesus guy in our class. And listen, I wasn't a Christian back then, but I believe in those times in the classroom, you were sowing seeds in my life. I want to let you know, I'm a Christian now, and I just want to thank you for being there and sowing those seeds. And can I tell you, when I heard that message, I, I, I didn't know what, what ground was I was sowing seeds in that classroom. I just knew that God ultimately was going to bring the growth. And can I, can I secretly tell you, there's times where I'd pick up a phone call and, and there's a number that I don't know, and I secretly believe that this is that other baseball player who's making me a similar call. But here's the reality, we, we have no idea. We have no idea. Some of you have people, they're surprised that you're even a Christian, right? We just have no idea what the seed can do in the right conditions. And so, so I was thinking about how best can we apply this message? Because this is not a message that really, really just challenges our conditions of our heart. Listen, the reality is we get to sow seeds every single day of the week. Every single day, right? We have an opportunity with coworkers, our friends. We have an opportunity with the people around us. And listen, maybe they have rejected you. Maybe they're not willing to listen to you. But listen, we're going to sow seeds anyways. We're going to sow seeds of grace, sow seeds of love. And I just so happen to think, hey, in a couple of weeks from now, we have something on March 27th called Big Serve Day. It's the weekend leading up to Easter. It's an opportunity that we can serve our community in a big way and point them to the resurrection. And so on March 27th, we don't do this often at church where we just mobilize all our volunteers out into the community to serve our community in a big way. And you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be scattering seeds. We're going to have opportunities to go to businesses and say, hey, can I pray for you? I know it's been a challenging time during COVID. Can I pray for you? You know what we're doing? We're sowing seeds. We're going to have an opportunity to give goodie bags to parks and, and to places, and Easter eggs to, to little kids. You know what we're doing? We're sowing seeds. We're going to have an opportunity to, to, to kind of serve the least of these in the community, un- indiscriminately, liberally. We're going to have an opportunity a week before Easter to pass out thousands of these. Or we're going to walk and canvas our neighborhoods, praying for each household you know what we're doing? We're sowing seeds. And we get an opportunity to put these door hangers on their door. You know what we're doing? We're sowing seeds and trusting God that it falls on good soil, trusting on the grace and the abundance of God. So here's my invitation for you. Would you join us? Would you join us on Big Survey? In fact, I want to invite you to take out your phone. Go ahead and take out your phone. Wave at all of our campuses. Take out your phone. Remember, don't get distracted now, okay, because this is one of the ways that distracts us. But go to this website, cfmiami.org slash bigserve. It's going to give you an opportunity to give you some descriptions, but a campus that you attend that has an opportunity for you to sign up, whatever it is, you click on it. It's simple. It's so easy. Just put your information. And simply what you're saying is an act of faith to say, God, I have a ready heart. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what soils are out there, but I'm just simply going to sow the seed and trust the amazing grace of God. And maybe for some of you who are watching this and you don't live in Miami, you don't live in the area, maybe you attend our online campus. Listen, you can be a digital sower yourselves. By simply just sharing these messages, sharing the word of God, giving encouraging words to people, sharing our contacts, our CF kids, our, our CF student contacts. And we have an opportunity to do so much good to be a digital sower. 
And so could you do that? If you have a ready heart, would you sign up for Big Serve Day? Amen? Hey, the way I'd like to close is the reality is that as you're hearing a message like this, you might find yourselves in different places, different soil conditions in your life. Maybe for you, you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Van, that's me. I have that hardened heart. Like I go to church, I hear the word of God, but it's just not going deep into my soul. And maybe for you, you're hearing this word and you have that shallow heart. You get excited, you'll sign up for anything. The moment that hardship comes along, you'd say it's just full of rocks. Nothing can grow deep. Or maybe for you, you you love the things of the Lord and you just have that divided heart. You've allowed so many things on your schedule, all these activities, and it is crowding out your life and robbing you from what God desires for your life. But can I give you the good news of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is that God can change any condition of your heart, any soil condition. So we're going to ask the Lord to do his good work in us. So wherever you find yourself, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you and ask God right now that you would search our hearts, that you would know us, that you would reveal to us the condition of our heart, the very things that are robbing. So God, for those of us here who got a hard heart, God, I pray that you would do your good work in tilling that soil, repurposing it, replowing it so that it would be good soil once again. For those of us here, God, that who don't have deep roots, we're so tethered to our feelings and we're one way or another and through our emotions. God, help us to grow deeper and abide in you. That when the day of trouble comes, God, we are rooted in the solid rock. Our hope that we anchor our souls in you. And Lord, for those of us here who have weeds growing and thorns that are just choking up the joy of the Lord. God, would you do your good work of beginning to pull those weeds, removing those weeds away from us so that we can experience good soil that will produce fruit in our lives. And so we, God, we ask, God, that you would do your work in us, that you would change our hearts for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, that we might produce much fruit. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.